Welcome back to the OIS Retina Podcast. This week, Dr. Feroz Rehal speaks with Drs. Rob Rothman and Ron Weiss about the synergy they have facilitated between venture capitalist endeavors and innovation in ophthalmology. Join us as these colleagues turned friends give us details about their unique paths and how it holds the potential to impact the future of ophthalmology. Let's listen in. Welcome back, everyone. This is the OIS Retina podcast again. This is Faras Rahal, partner at Excite Ventures and partner here in Los Angeles at the Retina Vitreous Associates. Uh, I'm super delighted to have as my guest today two guys I consider good friends. We've done work together now over these last several months, if not longer. We've become friends. We have a lot of fun in what we're doing. I know they have fun in, in, in running their business, and we're going to hear about that today. Uh, I'll introduce them both. First is uh, Ron Weiss, founding partner at Chicago Eye Consultants. That dates back a while, but I think that's still in existence. We'll hear from Ron about that. He has a faculty appointment at Rush University Medical School, and he's one of the managing partners at InFocus Capital Partners. And the other managing partner of InFocus Capital Partners is the other guest, Rob Rothman, also my friend. Uh, he's also a partner at Glaucoma Consultants of Long Island, which I think is now part of the Oakley Group, but we can elaborate on that. And he too has a faculty appointment at Hofstra Northwell School of Medicine there in Long Island. Welcome, Ron and Rob, my good friends. Hey, for us. Thanks, hey. Ron. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Uh, at, at, for the audience, In Focus Capital Partners is a VC firm that invest, invests in ophthalmology. They've made many investments. We're going to talk about some of them. And uh, they have been good friends to us at Excite. We, we share information, we, we talk a lot, and we pick each other's brains, and we have a lot of fun doing it. So I'd like to start by asking you guys, what's the history of InFocus specifically? You're both ophthalmologists, for the audience to know. These guys are both ophthalmologists. I, I think Rob is a glaucoma fellowship-trained ophthalmologist, and both have been practicing for many years in Chicago and Long Island, respectively. You came out of residency, you went into practice, what went on in that early part of your career, Ron, I'll start with you, sure. uh, that led you to VC innovation, development of products, and ultimately in focus capital partners? Yeah, well, I ended up investing privately beginning in the late 90s. In 2000, I made early investment in iTech Pharmaceuticals. About a year or two later, I recognized that I had anti-dilutive rights in that Series B along with a friend of mine who had a hedge fund background, we ended, ended up syndicated those, syndicating those rights and did a one-off deal. We got on the cap table in that Series B and we began to get deal flow. In order to capture that deal flow, we formed a small boutique venture firm. Every two or three years, uh, we would do a life science, in, uh, initially in life sciences, uh, we'd do investments. But because we were a small Chicago firm and relationship-based, we decided to go outside of life sciences and we would uh, make investments in such disparate industries as pet insurance and spirits. I met Rob about 15 years ago through a mutual friend that he went to medical school with. Um, he became an investor in one of our life science deals. From there, we just became friends. We would speak often, and then we began talking about potentially doing a deal together. 
Rob sourced an intellectual property deal in ophthalmology, and we ended up doing a one-off deal. I became the only other board member along with the founder. And after a couple of years, that relationship got a little more challenging. Along with the help of one of our investors, who happens to be uh, CEO and founder of a large activist hedge fund, we were actually able to restructure that company and bring on a CEO who had prior success in ophthalmic diagnostics. When that happened, our deal flow uh, in ophthalmology went up and we ended up doing two, one, uh, two sequential uh, one-off deals in ophthalmology and then our deal flow really exploded. When that happened, uh, along with our hedge fund friend who encouraged us to lean into the two things we know best, ophthalmology and venture investing, uh, we ended up forming in Focus Fund. So initially it was not your initial foray into investment and let's call it VC for just terminology, wasn't necessarily just ophthalmology, it was life sciences more broadly. Right, right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, you know, because we got deal flow, because we were on the cap table of iTech, which was really one of the largest life science raises of 2001 to 2002, we, we began getting that deal flow and my then partner at the time, and I recognized, uh, let's, let's form a small little boutique venture for, firm to capitalize on this uh, deal flow that we're getting. And so we, that's what we did. And you did this at that time in conjunction with running a ophthalmology practice, I'm sure. assuming at Chicago Consultants, iConsults, which you founded. How, how did you manage that? So, it, well, I'm still uh, there also. So, um, that was challenging. You know, we, uh, again, we, you know, any investor in our um, one-off deals always knew that I, you know, had a full-time job as a practicing ophthalmologist. And so, you know, founding Chicago Eye Consultants, you know, and managing the venture firm, you know, my wife and kids, um, it's a bit of a challenge, but we, we, we do it and it's a lot of fun. And then it segued into this relationship uh, with Rob and it's grown into in focus. So Rob you know, management. Before I uh, ask you to give the history, which I will, I want to just let you know and the audience know that I invited Ron to speak first because he's always nicer to me. There's, <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing about you. It's just he's always nicer to me. So now you get to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't you know, know if that's I, a punishment or a reward. Well, I, I, you know, I think we're like Penn and Teller. Ron does all the talking. He's up on stage. And I'm like the shorter, fatter guy who's there for comic relief. So it's fine. Ron can go Not first. Can always go first. And I'll just pipe in with some comic relief, you know, now and then. It's it's all good for us. The best that's, is always That's why last. this partnership works so well. That's exactly right. It's fine. You got, there has to be yin and yang in, in all of life. And this is part of it. And actually, you guys do... Honestly, all kidding aside, complement each other incredibly well. You obviously were drawn to work together at this juncture 15 years ago. What's your take on that history? Rob, how did you come to become an investor to join and and form in focus with Ron vis-a-vis your early career in ophthalmology? Yeah, it's it's actually so, you know, one of the things that I think we probably don't do uh, you know, justice to is is to really highlight the serendipity and the organic, you know, nature of how our business relationship sort of grew. And, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, we have a similar um, sort of outlook 
as to how we approach investments and, and our purpose for investing, because we've, we've sort of grown up together through this business. You know, it's been 15 years of, of growing up together, which is really nice. So, um, but my, my path is sort of as Ron, as Ron described that I was a glaucoma fellowship trained, still am a glaucoma fellowship trained ophthalmologist, still in clinical practice. And early on in my career, after I left the practice that I trained with and came out to practice on Long Island into a glaucoma subspecialty group out there, I started to take on much more of the financial responsibilities for running our business. Some of that's just having some degree of finance background and, and, and having some uh, ability to identify things that could be changed in how we ran our, our practice and was helpful along with my partners in growing our, our practice into a large glaucoma subspecialty group. I also had the opportunity to help us get involved in surgery center ownership and some other entrepreneurial things that occurred out here on Long Island at that time. The real introduction, it's, it's a shout out to our friend, Eddie Kirsch. Um, Eddie, who's a urologist and one of my closest friends from medical school, really identified it in speaking with me regularly and in speaking with Ron regularly that we were very similar in terms of our entrepreneurial spirit. And he made the connection and said, you guys should really talk and get to know each other because you're both doing things outside of medicine that are very interesting. And, you know, that's how Ron and I, you know, first became introduced. And I loved what Ron was doing. You know, I loved that he was doing it, it, you know, and it had an investing business that didn't only focus on life sciences, that really focused on venture capital, which I, I found very compelling. Uh, and in, in talking with Ron over, over time, realized that I wanted to be a part of some of those uh, opportunities that he presented. Part of that process involved me uh, discussing these things with people in my community and, and, and getting some recognition as somebody who had deal flow through Ron. And the result was that I created syndicates to invest in, in the deals that Ron was doing. So I learned a lot about syndicate creation. I learned a lot about evaluating, you know, venture capital opportunities. Uh, it was an online, it was sort of a, a real world uh, experience in, in understanding these processes. And it sort of grew from there until I got my own deal flow and the company that eventually I got introduced to through, colleagues that I had at New York Ioneer, where I did my fellowship training, um, ultimately led to um, our first deal together, which was the, you know, um, imaging technology that Ron described. Uh, and that serendipitously led to us getting involved with a hedge fund who helped us restructure that company. It sort of all grew, you know, one step after the other. And that's sort of how it remained. The, 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 the nice thing is that, you know, maybe we can, you know, it doesn't really need to be part of this discussion is that both, both Ron and I, um, sold our practices to private equity at the same time, literally within, was it two days of each other? Yeah. It was like within a week of each other, just right. coincidentally. Completely coincidentally. Completely coincidentally. But it was part of the discussion was how are we going to have enough time to, yeah. to build and run a venture capital fund? And I think that we both made the business decision to stay clinically, clinically active, which we've both done. But I've reduced the amount of time that I spend seeing patients in a structured way to devote specific time to the venture business and you know between the hours of 6 p.m and 1 a.m in the morning i'm working exclusively on this every day uh, and and so is ron and so we do we do you know we have specific days that we don't work to to, to handle deal flow um and operations and you know we have evenings and you know we've sort of created our lives to fit this for now you know, for now, we think that there's strategic advantage, as do you guys, in staying clinically relevant. And it differentiates us from a lot of other, you know, venture investors. And we're going we're gonna to continue to do that for now. Um, hopefully, our, you know, next funds will be too large to be able to do that. And, and, <laughs> That's and, the and, goal. 
that's the goal, right? And um, and and I think that that's the natural progression of how you know we've seen we've seen things move along. But it's really been sort of an organic 15 year on the job training experience for me that you know continues to morph into more education, and more training, and more experience. And I think that um, you know as you guys have done, you know our first funds and our first foray into this has been you know a, a, a resounding success from you know, the educational experiential rewards, and now we hope to make them financially rewarding as well. But that's been the, the, the process and the progress from, you know, clinical life to investment life in shortening, you know, 15 years into five minutes. I totally understand it. I think you shortened it well. I mean, that's a good synopsis. And I, I found myself identifying with point after point that you were expressing and, and some years later for me, but definitely similar course. Did either of you, and this is for either of you, know when you were in med school or uh, residency or even have a thought that you might end up doing this uh, or were you just planning to go into clinical practice as you did and this sort of just turned up? Or was this always in the back of either of your minds? It was definitely in the back of my mind. When I was in medical school, I actually started a company that was a a, a company that we gave uh, medical information to Fortune 500 companies. And I did this fourth year medical school with two other uh, classmates uh, and I started it. And we got a tremendous amount of traction uh, with this. And then all of a sudden we all got our choices where we wanted to go to residency. So we had to make a decision. Are we gonna follow path A or or follow path B that, that we went to medical school and do our residencies? And we decided to do our residencies. And so, you know, again, I think I was always, uh, I grew up in a medical family, and so business was always forbidden fruit, and so I was always drawn to it, honestly. And Interesting. so I began investing in the late 90s privately, and it led into the formation of, uh, you know, a venture firm. How about you, my, Rob? Also? Yeah, my, my, no, my, I, I absolutely did not have any inclination that that was going to be the path that I took. I think that my... Um, path has been more opportunistic to some degree and having been presented with scenarios throughout the course of my professional career where I found that I often understood um, financial concepts and had a greater understanding of the interaction between business and medicine than people around me in, in many circumstances, that this was something that I should potentially try and capitalize on. Um, that sort of became further enhanced as our business relationships inside of medicine grew and I found that people were relying on my opinion and expertise in understanding these relationships, whether it was practice development, practice ownership, surgery center development and growth, you know, all these opportunities, I found that, you know, there's something, obviously there's a skill set that, that obviously I haven't been able to quite quantify or describe accurately that allowed me to understand these things. And I, and I knew that I needed to pursue those because I, I enjoyed being in that position. I enjoyed, you know, investigating the financial relationships between my clinical life and the, and the business aspect of, of medicine. And it sort of grew from there and being exposed to Ron was sort of the, the next step in that evolution where it, it wasn't just practice management, ownership of facilities, you know, relationships of contracts and, 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 and things like that, it became more, you know, how do you understand investment opportunities? You know, I was always in a, a stock market investor, but this is a whole nother, you know, can of beans. And, and, and I think that 
that was a growth experience, but applying what I had learned previously into that, you know, other discipline was a, a logical and sort of easy step to take. And, and it just sort of grew from there. I love this analysis uh, because it, it speaks to the kind of savvy man on the street school of hard knocks education that leads somebody to a certain professional path rather than this conscious, I'm going to be a medical business entrepreneur and they'll get, then go get an MBA specifically designing one's life. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's an excellent path too. But right. the more people I talk to, the more I find this, the two of you and, and your stories in particular to be common. And there may be, there's a moral there. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's been my experience as well. It was very organic, you know. The, yeah, organic is a good word for it. A friendship. Uh, and we grew and, you know, we recognized, we complemented each other well. And it's been, it's been a great partnership uh, ever since. And you, and again, for us, you're, you're right. And I think that when Ron and I had, look, we, Ron and I both got five-year permission slips from our wives to go out and do this, you know, yes. because we, we knew that there was a good chance that if we didn't, that we'd probably both be divorced because, you, you know, have to get well, no a, question. Lot of a lot of personal sacrifice, right, to do that. But, but I think that the, the, the conscious decision that, that was made at that point was that, you know, we had been around this, this world in, in opportunities where we were a participant in a syndicate. And when it came to ophthalmology, it, it, it seems sort of obvious. Why would you not, you know, evaluate ophthalmic investments yourself? Who's got a greater domain expertise in ophthalmology than ophthalmologists? And if, if there is finance level understanding that we don't feel comfortable in, you know, you sort of evaluating, there are plenty of NBAs and people in the finance world who can help us with those aspects. But the fundamental, you know, component to any investment is understanding it. Right. And, 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 and we right. understand these things and you, listen, you, you guys are the same as us, you know, XI and InFocus are brothers from separate mothers, you know, like we, <laughs> totally. we, we get it. And, and, yeah. and, and the point is that all you need is an understanding of, of how to evaluate an opportunity um, from the business perspective understanding the clinical application, the clinical need, those things, it's born from the fact that we do this stuff every day, you know, so we, and our entire team practices ophthalmology. We, we get it. We understand how to do clinical trials. We understand what's needed, what's not needed. We understand these things because we practice medicine. So the, the, it's very different than being an investor and saying, I want to invest in ophthalmology. Let me go out and find people who do the stuff. Well, we can do that ourselves. All we need is people who trust us with funds and an infrastructure to manage that investments. And we can do this. And that was really the conversation that we had over and over again. And, right. and, and the guys, fortunately, our hedge fund partner realized that as well. They're like, you guys should be the ones doing this. I did have a, a specific aha moment that occurred, you know, prior to the formation of InFocus, but right around at that time where I had a venture friend looking to make an investment in an ophthalmic based application. And I said, Oh, well, send me the prototypes. I can test them in my, clinic with all my technicians and it was um i'm not going to get too detailed but it was an application that was spewing out bad data he goes great you saved me millions of dollars can you call <laughs> my other venture friend who i knew and and you know highly respected and i called him and i said listen the data that i'm getting you know at least version 1.0 is not working um but uh you know, did you, did you really do your diligence on this or did you just buy into what the CEO was saying? He goes, you know, unfortunately, uh, in the investment committee, we decided to uh, not hire guys like you 
because uh, that would have cost, you know, that would have been too expensive. So we ended up making, they made a several million dollar investment in this technology, uh, which has gone nowhere. And that was about, uh, you know, five or six years ago. Huh. Um, so that was really an aha moment where it was very easy for me to evaluate the opportunity very quickly um, and know that it was not, you know, it was not a good one. So. Surprising they didn't understand that uh, already. Uh, that's the uh, maybe the definition of penny wise and dollar foolish, I guess. <laughs> Let's move into the formal structure that is in focus. We've talked about the history. You guys really explained very well how this came to be. Um, what is the current structure? You have partners, you have advisors, you have strategic partners, et cetera. Please elaborate if you could. So when Rob and I were forming uh, the fund, we knew that we wanted to surround ourselves with like-minded advisors who loved ophthalmology, but who also understood the inherent uh, risks and rewards of venture investing. We also wanted each advisor uh, to be an investor because we wanted them to have an increased vested interest in the success of the fund. So we really you know, picked out individuals that had deep expertise in one aspect of ophthalmology, be it retina, glaucoma, glaucoma, cornea, uh, or operationally. And, and that's been a good decision uh, for us. In general, we have biweekly advisor calls, uh, which are usually unanimously attended. Our chief science officer, Jody Lux, um, organizes uh, these calls, and we usually start out by just discussing fund operations, any relevant updates on portfolio companies. But the real meat of our calls is when we start to talk about diligence on opportunities that we're looking at. Jody will assign um, a lead advisor and a secondary advisor to each company that we're looking at. Those advisors will reach out to the company and we'll usually have two or three calls congeal their thoughts, and then present um, at an advisor call. And, you know, these are the discussions that we find, Rob and I find, and I think all the advisors do too, uh, the most fulfilling and interesting. And interesting. Um, from that call, we usually come up with action, diligence action items that we uh, continue to pursue. We always end the calls with new business and any topics that any advisor wants to bring up. Regarding a strategic partnership, um, we first met Aura right at the launch of our fund. We kept bumping into them at conferences and we would share diligence. Uh, we got along great with them and uh, just continued to collaborate. Towards the end of that first year of the fund, uh, they proposed a scenario where not only would they become an investor in the fund, but they would uh, become part of the general partnership. In order to avoid any conflict of interest, uh, they had a seat on the investment committee, but they didn't have a vote on the investment committee. And it's also very clear that we don't steer and there's no obligation of any of our portfolio companies uh, to use them. Um, the diligence that they bring to us, along with their 350 employees, has been you know, remarkably accretive to the internal process that we already had. And it's really helped to elevate our deal flow, not only nationally, but internationally as well. Is the investment committee then otherwise the two of you? 
It is. Yeah. And so the final decision comes down to the two of you, the general partners, the managing partners, after hearing the, the presentations and the opinion of the advisor expert, and then obviously subsequently your own level of diligence then follows that first round of diligence. Correct. But, but the advisors um, and everybody plays a critical role in that process and everybody has a voice. That's really important to us. Yeah, I don't think we've ever made an investment where we didn't have unanimity with with regard to the advisor input um, in the process. I mean, if somebody's got a real significant issue with technology, I mean, we're you know we're focused on the viability, need, and and potential success of the product first. So if somebody's got a real issue with the science or a real issue with issue with the process, we're not investing, obviously, right? So um, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's exactly. enough. There's so many reasons for failure. The risks are high. The numbers are so stacked against us on any one of these that, yeah, I think in anybody sane would say we need unanimity of all minds who are taking minutes to spend on this because even the slightest negative to me tips the balance enough away because there's so many obstacles already without that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing that we've also strived to achieve is we'd like to have sort of a diverse mix in our, in our team. So like Ron said, we have multiple ophthalmic specialties represented by key opinion leaders and, you know, people who are well regarded inside of ophthalmology. But we also have, you know, a, an MBA who's, you know, been involved in ophthalmic companies and has, has helped transition private to, you know, public entities. And, um, you know, so we have you know, we have, we also have a non-ophthalmic physician in advisor, somebody who represents one of our investors that happens to be a, a generic drug manufacturer. And we wanted to have a non-ophthalmic perspective as well, but certainly somebody inside of medicine who could look at these from the non-ophthalmology perspective and say, you know, I can understand why th this makes sense. And then we have, you know, finance guys, you know, on the hedge fund side, we have a, you know, CRO and Aura. So we try to put together a team it sort of allows us to really understand these investments, not only from the clinical need, but also can help us to better understand the life cycle so that we can be proactive with these companies and help nurturing them through, you know, the early development stage, preclinical work through their clinical work, and hopefully eventually get to monetization. And we actually have components of our team that can help at every step along the way. And that's one of the things that we spent a lot of time on is, you know, how what is it that we have the ability to do because we're in the trenches on a regular basis? How can we structure our fund in a way that would differentiate it from, you know, from others to some degree as well? And I think that in the same way that you guys have looked at, you know, how to ophthalmically run venture funds, benefit ophthalmic companies, we, we try to do the same thing. And I think that we put together, you know, an amazing team while also keeping, you know, a CFO and a COO around to help us with, you know, transactional things and investor communications and all the other things that are required. So we're, we're small and compact, but, but we contain what I think are all the necessary parts to be a, a successful VC that invests early. No question. You guys have built it beautifully and I like how you describe it. And yes, for a small new company, uh, having these KOLs and then having an aura standing by and making the contacts and giving advice in those early stages that's worth that's has has so much value i can't i can't put a number on it it's it's invaluable and i know the guys at aura very well they do a great job so if your companies were to wind up doing their trials with aura 
That's great. They do a, a wonderful job. I've done as a as a clinical trials PI myself many trials with the guys at Aura, and they're they're awesome at that. So good for you. And that's a great that's a great advantage for your portfolio companies to have that laying in the weeds for later on when the clinical trial business starts to come around. Hopefully, you get to that point. And in understanding the pathway, it's also critical because, you know, they run all these clinical trials. I mean, I guess they're probably the largest, you know, CRO in ophthalmology. I think that, they are. You know, they, and they, so they can really sort of educate us with regard to things that we may miss in understanding what it's really going to take to get the company from, you know, preclinical to clinical to, to inflection and potential monetization. They, their, their insight into that process, I don't think anybody has better understanding than they do of that whole, of that whole process. So, I think, and it really enhances our diligence and makes us smarter investors because, you know, as you know, it's great to make an investment in an early company, but if you're not prepared to help them when they go to step B, C, and D, or at least understand what they're going to need, then you're just throwing money away. So yeah, it totally. gives us a lot more, a lot more insight than I think that we'd be able to have otherwise. I totally agree with that in mind, Rob, maybe you can share with us what your thoughts are when you're looking at those first diligence steps or maybe second or third uh, with regard to making an investment, how do you guys think about investment size, stage, what types of investments, drugs versus devices? I know you're involved in a lot of different in this category, but how do you view it? What are you looking for? What are what are areas you consider more advantageous or easier versus more difficult or challenging? Yeah, I mean, look, we obviously, I think the, the primary motivator for for everybody involved in our fund is that there are things that ophthalmology needs right? There are lots of unmet needs and there are a lot of people out there and a lot of companies out there that have potentially um, disruptive um, technologies and or disruptive medications that can really benefit patients. So we're looking for those things first and foremost. So again, we're agnostic to, to where it falls inside of ophthalmology. Um, we have pharmaceutical and drug investments. We have device investments. We have AI investment, technology investments. We we think that um, all of those things have merit, and uh, obviously we're limited only by the size of our fund um, with regard to the you know potential investment uh, targets. But 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 we certainly need to be wowed by the the science, and we need to understand um, what what the what the end game is. Where do they fit? Obviously, um, we're we are not going to invest in any company that doesn't have a proper management in place, right? So having strong management is probably more important than anything else. When you think about the likelihood of a company being successful, there are loads of great projects that have died early because of a lack of, uh, of management. And, and we struggle with that on a regular basis. So, so um, you know, those are, those are, those are critical evaluative tools. Um, we are also um, willing to invest at any stage. You know, we've invested in in seed rounds uh, with preclinical work, um, and all the way, you know, beyond that. Obviously, we think that our sweet spot is to get in early at where we can take, you know, advantage of lower valuations um, to obtain larger pieces of companies, and, and then help propagate them more rapidly towards an inflection and potential monetization. Um, so we're willing to take that earlier risk in the hopes that we can expedite. The process to some degree, and we've seen that that's been the case for a few of the companies we've invested in. Um, but we'd certainly look at you know later opportunities. We have companies that we've invested in with six million dollar pre money valuations, and we have one with what is the pre what was the pre money on Mojo? Yeah, four hundred million. Four hundred million. Yeah. Where, where we where where <laughs> we own a teeny teeny yeah. tiny piece <laughs> of that company, but but 
but it's a company that, you know, you know, already is at the point where, you know, they could be successful and they've utilized the expertise of our team to help build life science applications for a product that was previously going to be more of a, you know, uh, AI sort of refractive sort of, so, you know, we've helped, you know, help that. And we think that the PR value is, is pretty, pretty high there for the future as well. So, um, you know, we certainly, we certainly look at all these opportunities. We've interacted with several public companies uh, and we're evaluating opportunities to differentiate our portfolio that way. So there's, there's sort of a complete sort of wide open spectrum as to how we can do it. The one thing that's become obvious at this point is that as we get towards the end of the investment period from this fund, that timeline is obviously critical, right? So we can't, you know, we're willing to take an investment at the beginning of, of, of our, our fund where there may be a four or five or even six year timeline can't do that now. So we have to obviously shorten um, the timeline horizon for our investments later stage. So, you know, all these things, you know, play into it and we're evaluating deals. We love to, to diligence these companies. I think the most fun I have is when I'm on diligence calls and either Ron or I is on every initial contact with any company we're evaluating. So, you know, we've evaluated probably well over 150 companies by now. So we've, we've been involved in all, every single one of those before they get divided out. So um, it, it's great hearing about those companies, but there are some that we, we may speak to where we love the technology, but we're very forthright with them up front and say, hey, this is not going to be an investment in this fund. The timeline isn't right for us now, but we'd really like to continue to talk to you because we're hoping to have fund two launched and, you know, we want to be there for you potentially at a later point in time. So um, I don't know that I miss anything, Ron. Ron, you want to have anything to add? I agree with a, a lot, every, everything I mean, of what you said. Everything and I, Ron, go ahead. With every company that you look at, uh, in general, you know, management, especially when things go south, a good leader will know how to pivot and navigate a difficult situation. So, you know, we look at management, we look at a potentially disruptive application within ophthalmology. You want to make sure the IP uh, is good. And, we, you know, valuation is very important. You know, we want to be, be getting a, a, a good deal with uh, when we're making an investment. So those are four critical components uh, that we initially look at and want, you know, check, 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 check. Do you usually handle, do, was, does one of you handle the valuation discussion with the company CEO, do either of you do it, or is it specifically one one of you? We do a bad cop, worst cop routine. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. I love it. And you know what? We take different roles. I mean, should, sometimes it's me. We take a straw poll from the audience, and who's the good cop and who's the bad cop? <laughs> I'm always the bad cop. For us. You should know that by now. <laughs> I asked almost rhetorically. <laughs> you should know that by no, but the, no, but the reality is. I mean, you know, valuations, and you and I know this, are, 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 you know, they're fantasy, right? I mean, they're fabricated. Everybody believes their company is worth way more than it really is. And I think there's a rational approach. I can tell you that, and I think this is probably true, Rana, and we've only invested in companies where we've had very little valuation discussion, because if you're going to meet with a group and they're going to inflate the value of that technology so far beyond what it's worth, you know, you're not dealing with the proper management because the proper yeah, no, management the is going to price their yeah, they're going to price their they're going to price their company at a place where they know that smart investors are not going to have to negotiate much. Right. So we we've seen that happen. We've we've walked away from good technology um, or companies that we thought were viable that they were like, this is ridiculous. We can't. Eat. We're no way we're going to get to a, a meaningful. If you think your company is worth fifty million dollars and we think it's worth five, there's no point in starting that conversation. Correct. We walk away. Right, and we've had that several times. 
I think those when people are showing themselves to be that unrealistic, it, it's probably better to bail. Obviously, for the fact you're not going to come to a number anyway, but also because they'll probably be unrealistic about the timelines that they project for their clinical work and the timeline for their clinical trial, so on and so forth. And you'll constantly be battling this this kind of fantastic view of the company. Now, the best leaders are the ones that give you, you know, full transparency, full honesty, full vulnerability. Those are the those are the leaders that we connect with most because those are the best leaders. Right. And with the realities. And so, you know, that tends Isn't to be it surprising. I don't know. I'd, I'd like both of your takes on this. And then I want to talk about a few of your companies. Um, that does come through pretty quickly in those early calls, doesn't it? It does. Mm-hmm. It seems to me in our calls that that's one of the first qualities that comes through is, is this a solid management team or not? It's pretty obvious. What do you what do you guys think? Completely agree. We usually have a good sense of that you know, really on the first, you know, certainly by the second call. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious who's got the right plan. I and mean, we have some unbelievable CEOs, you know, running some of our portfolio companies and some that need more help than others, you know, and, and, and ultimately the difference is that when you're, if you want to follow a company's progress for fun, you can watch it from the scientific perspective, because I don't think that I've come across one company so far that I think doesn't have something really useful. Um, but making an investment requires believing that that technology can get from point A to point J or whatever it is. And there's going to be an inflection. And there's so many ways that that company can fail, like you said, that the only thing that we can do as an investor is eliminate or de-risk an investment as much as we can to the point where the technology drug, whatever it is, either works or it doesn't, right? When you start doing things in humans, things go wrong, right? So, but we can't leave something on our diligence list unchecked before we invest because if we do, that is the thing that's gonna end up coming back to bite you. You know that it's the case. And the first investment that Ron and I made, which was the company that brought us together, I'm not exaggerating, took us seven years to fix. And the problem with that investment was the management. It was all the management. That's all it was, was a problem there. The technology, unbelievable, viable. The company is about to be revenue generating. It's a big deal. Seven years of our lives, five of them, where probably aged me 20 or 30 years, all this gray hair (laughs) is from that one period of time. So, 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 and you know, that was a huge learning experience for us and one that we're not gonna make again you know, and a mistake that we're not going to make again. So, yeah, that's the, that's a, a tale of pain. It sounds like, but it sounds like you've come out of the woods somewhat with that. Very difficult. A lot of heavy lifting. More work than you had hoped to get. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of your companies. I'm going to take a moment to list them and then, and then we'll talk about a couple specifically. And it's a prolific list. You guys have done amazing. Really. This is a great list. I, as you know, I'm familiar with some of them because we're invested with you in some of these companies. But let me just take a second. Cura, Alivio, Prevent, Galamedics, <clears throat> 2C Tech, Trefoil, ONL Therapeutics, Rivana, Stewart Therapeutics, Cellview Imaging, Mojo Vision, which you mentioned earlier, and Visibly. And Visibly is the most recent, I think, it is. Uh, we can only spend a, a few minutes, so we're obviously not going to go over all of them, although I, I think 
they're all interesting companies we could spend time on. Why don't you take us through visibly, Ron, if you could? And yeah, uh, we thought that'd be most relevant because it's our most recent investment. It's our first, you know, post. Uh, it was our post-COVID investment, and so um, I was originally introduced to Visibly, which was called Alternative, uh, back then, about seven or eight years ago, at their inception. They're a virtual online uh, platform for determining visual acuity and refractions. They're a Chicago-based firm, company, so it was easy for me to connect with them. Um, I liked the technology. I liked the application. However, they, they didn't have a well-thought-out regulatory strategy, and their model, uh, their business model was based on um, disrupting optometric care by circumventing ophthalmologists and optometrists. Um, so I decided to take a pass and I didn't invest. I stayed, you know, I stayed in touch with the company. I stayed in touch with the principals. I saw them raise capital at ever higher valuations from respected VCs. I saw them generate more and more revenue. I was actually happy for them. Um, and I really thought I missed the boat on this one. And then I never heard from them for a while. Um, and then it turns out um, that um, not listening to the FDA and ignoring optometrists and ophthalmologists was not a good business model. Uh, they were eventually shut down. Um, I even heard from the founder um, regarding what their potential value is and if we had any interest in buying their IP. Uh, but that was it. Mm. Until earlier this year, uh, through our partners at Aura, we were reintroduced to, uh, to Visibly, um, and they now had a new CEO who had um, ran and monetized a large technology company. Um, their business model completely changed, where they had a well-thought-out regulatory strategy, um, and now they um, embraced um, ophthalmologists um, and optometrists, and they wanted to become the online platform for all of their um, online uh, eye care services. Um, we knew that we had to evaluate the company further, especially their IP. So we hired an IP firm who helped to validate that the IP was secure. Um, that relationship went so well, we actually introduced the IP firm to the company, and now they're working together. Um, to maintain, you know, make sure that the IP is viable. So we ended up investing um, in the company at a dramatically lower valuation to their last raise uh, with marquee co-investors. And uh, we're very happy with the progress they've made uh, since the beginning of the year. So you think the fatal flaw initially, because I heard it in your voice and I thought it the second you mentioned it was they were going to try to circumvent the eye care professionals which is sort of bad marketing to start with. Was fixing that the solution to the problem? Wait, say that again, sorry. Was fixing that approach, that, that wish, the solution to the there problem? There were two things. Uh, they really ignored the FDA. I mean, you know, we know that there's an FDA process and they completely ignored what the FDA had told them, um, which just never made any sense. And they, they didn't really have a strategy going into the FDA, but also, um, you know, in their discussions with me, again, seven and eight years ago, um, they really wanted to completely disrupt optometric care and circumvent, you know, 
you know, optometrists and ophthalmologists. And so, you know, that was, those were the main reasons I took a pass. I, th I thought the technology was fascinating, um, but, you know, this new management now embraces both. That's and this cool. became and this became incredibly relevant in the post-COVID world. Exactly. Of course, the telemedicine aspect of this uh, is amazing, and it's going to you know we're obviously going to see continued growth in that area. We're seeing coming out of the woodwork all these interesting and some great diagnostics, iPhone type stuff, and we know that in ten years maybe we'll have Bones McCoy with an an iPhone, you know, <laughs> diagnosing everybody. A tricorder. <laughs> we are heading there. I want to ask you, uh, and, and because we only have a couple of minutes left, about another company, Rob. It's one I have an interest in because, uh, full disclosure, we also invested in Trefoil. And this is a management team we think is a model for other management teams. What's your take on Trefoil? What can you share with the audience? Yeah, so Trefoil is actually really interesting because Trefoil is one of the companies that Ron and I did as a one-off prior to the formation of of in focus. So it, it was actually probably one of the additional aha moments we had, which was Jody Lux, who is our chief science advisor, was one of the, the first people that became part of our team, um, had been involved with Treefoil initially, and um, they have an uh, engineered fiberglass growth factor, FGF1, which has both front of the eye and back of the eye applications for regenerating corneal tissue. They can regrow corneal endothelium and corneal epithelium using a, a more stable and controlled version of a naturally occurring FGF1. So fascinating technology. But when we met with David Eveleth, who's the CEO the first time, I was sitting in the lobby of a hotel in New York City upon the introduction from, from Jody. So Ron and I had decided that we were going to start evaluating all these companies, right, you know, before we had a fund. And I met with David and he started to um, show the presentation and it was clear that he didn't, he was not aware that I was an ophthalmologist. So he started to go through corneal edema. This is an endothelial cell. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I'm like, David, I don't know if you know this, but but I'm an ophthalmologist. You can bypass all the stuff. So he's starting to go through his slide deck. And I'm like, no, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Seven minutes. It took him seven minutes to do his entire presentation. And I said, get it, totally love it. We're going to dive into this and figure it out. He sits back in his chair and he says, I have to tell you that what you, what I just did for you normally takes three to four months with traditional VCs. <laughs> Right. So in seven minutes, you've now, I know we understand the concept, we understand the needs. So, so, so having that level of expertise in ophthalmology and understanding, you know, corneal endothelial disease, you know, made this a compelling argument. Then we got to know the management team and Ron and I basically did the diligence on this one all ourselves with Jody, you know, sort of involved um, informally because we didn't really have our fund at that point. Um, we decided that we were going to create a syndicate and we did our, one of our one-off deals and we invested money. Interestingly, the time that we, we made a decision to invest, we um, asked the guys to meet us at the Academy for lunch. <laughs> Ron's laughing and we sit down at the table and we're like, guys, we just want to get started. Thanks for coming to lunch. We just want to let you know we're investing. And they look at us and they're like, well, that's great, but the syndicate's closed. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> so, so we had, we had, so, the, okay. Lesson number two, you got to, you know, figure out what the, you got to stay in touch with the company on the investment side. Ultimately they realized that there was value in having us become involved. We actually talked to Hatteras, who was, you know, sort of leading the diligence charge with us, and they carved out a little piece to let us get in. So we got our syndicate in. Then the opportunity came to invest at a later stage, 
you know, through the fund and there was no question that we were going to, you know, you know, participate. So obviously we made our decision at that point as well. And you're right. I mean, management wise, it doesn't get any better, right? I mean, you have seasoned a team of unbelievably talented and intelligent people, you know, running a company that's going to meet, you know, that, that, that has technology that can, you know, fix an unmet need, not only for people in this country, but around the world and hopefully, you know, end corneal blindness for many people, which is, you know, such a huge problem, especially outside the United States. And, you know, we love the company, we love the technology and we think that they're going to be successful. Um, and we'll see They're a clinical stage company. We have two companies out of our portfolio of 12 right now, they're in the clinic um, and, you know, you know, doing well. And, you know, they're, they're the second one to start a clinical trial and we couldn't be more thrilled for them because you know, while we all hope to be financially successful, those guys have, have really showed us that a, a qualified team with a qualified product can, can, can bring viable needed technology to, to a financial success, but also have something that's going to benefit millions of people around the world. It's really going to be a, a story that I think will, will resonate well with not only investors, but with with, opth- with ophthalmologists all over the globe, so. I totally agree. I, I'm, I'm really confident in that investment and I love the product. The team is outstanding and it, right. it's, gonna, it's gonna help a lot of patients. There's no question yeah. about it. It's something that we need tremendously and corneal transplant surgery, we all know in our business the, the, how problematic that is and can be. And this solution is something we've been waiting for. I'm excited for it. Uh, yeah. Listen, guys, we're running short on time, but I, first I want to thank both of you. This is awesome. You shared really how your company is working, and I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing. I know a lot about what you're doing, and I look forward to the next time we invest together and talk about investments together and due diligence together. And maybe at some point in 2021, have a chance to have a drink together again, like in person. <laughs> um, thank you for being so open and sharing your thoughts on these things, and uh, I'll love to have you back on again. Okay. Thanks for thanks for us. It was great talking with you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All the best. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's discussion. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Doctors Rahal, Rothman, and Weiss. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave us a review. And head over to ois.net for upcoming events. Until next time, keep innovating.